Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 18, Distant Voices, teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by Alexander Singer. This episode aired on April 10th, 1995. If I don't know if you remember, but the last episode was in February, so it seems like they had a little bit of a break. We had February sweeps and then did did reruns until, you know, the yes. spring took, took, took the month off. Um, I didn't notice that, but thank you for pointing that out. You're welcome. Appreciate, I appreciate. That's, that's, the, that's the type of, of fun facts that I, I come here for. <laughs> I feel like if this was on um, Monkey Off My Backlog, that would have been a mumble fact or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. This week on Deep Space Nine, after an alien assault leaves Bashir unconscious, he is trapped inside his own mind. Is there anybody out there? See, it's interesting that like you went there for the musical references, because as I was re-watching this episode, and Julian is two days away from his 30th birthday, I was definitely more thinking 30 from Bo Burnham's Inside, <laughs> or 3090 from Tick, Tick, Boom. I think um, it's both literally... songs about turning 30, and yeah. the melancholy that can be associated with that. I think for me, it was literally the fact that Bashir said, is there anybody there <laughs> or something like that, which um, I don't remember now if he said there or out there, because if he said, is yeah. there anybody there, then I should have sang 1776 instead. Um, apologies, dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because your dad like is our, our an avid podcast listener. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm sure he yeah, listens to all he, of our episodes. every week, multiple times. He's he's in my DMs. Going, <laughs> is he complaining? Why, why about... didn't you release this episode on time? I heard Elise recording it. Is is he complaining to you about how much I say the word like? Because that sounds like what he would actually be writing to you about. <laughs> I don't think he would write that to me. I think he would, you know, give that information to you directly. But he That's should probably true. keep it to himself. Yeah, I, I've I've mentioned that he should keep that to himself, actually. And that was the last time he listened to you on a podcast. That was is that on Still Great Bob, the one he listened to, where he gave yes. you that nice little piece of feedback? Yes, and I yeah. am sure that was the last time he listened to me on a podcast. Like, you're joking, but it's probably true. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's not funny, haha, funny, weird, because it's true. <laughs> exactly. So, Elise, did you yes. or did you not remember this episode? I did not. Yeah, I, I did. I do. I like, but I'm all every time I read the last, not every time. Okay, stop. I did remember this episode. And listen. I did remember this episode. But both this time rewatching it for the podcast, and then a couple years ago, the last time I did a a full DS9 rewatch, I'm always surprised that this episode comes in season three, because I feel like in my mind, when I remember this episode, it's like a season one or two episode. Yeah, that's that's fair. It does have um, earlier Bashir vibes to it. Yeah, like him yeah. having to figure out himself. It just 
I felt like we were already past that. Not that he doesn't involve going forward, um, the character. I, I just felt like it felt like a step backwards. Yeah, it it kind of feels like, and now I'm trying to like, and this is probably going to be a little bit more of like a challenging episode to talk about just based on what we've seen so far and like not bringing future knowledge into it in terms of where we know Bashir's character goes. But it really seems like in, in reflecting that season three is a bit of that like pivot point for Bashir where it's like, they've, they've toned down some of his immaturity or like, you know, they're early on and like, you know, the skirt chasing sort of not like just being really forward sort of aspects. And you know, the like, real wet behind the ears like oh i'm doing frontier medicine blah 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 stuff that like wasn't great for him early so like i like that change but it's like this episode exists for me as a way for them to try and way for the writers to try and like break out or storyboard out like where they want bashir to go because like they've seasoned him a bit which i think has been good and i've appreciated and we have the like you know the dynamic with miles but largely that is to benefit Miles as a character. And it's like, what, right. who is Julian Bashir? And like, yeah, I know who he is because I've seen the show before. And, you know, this being a pivot point. But like, yeah, this, this episode, like, I like it more in concept than I think I do in practice. Which is to say, I don't think it's like a bad episode. I don't think it's like egregious. But in some ways it feels kind of forgettable. Yeah, I I kind of I also felt like I I did enjoy the episode and found it fun, but I also found it the dialogue in it just to be really obvious. I mean, halfway through the episode, Julian figures out what's going on and it's spelled out so blatantly for us and it just leave left nothing to the imagination for me. Yeah. Um yeah. So there was even though I overall liked it, there were kind of conceptually it didn't all work for me because they kind of i'm trying to think they like they just told you everything i don't know yeah it's i guess like the thing that's coming to my mind i don't even know why this is coming to my mind because i'm not like a big baseball guy but it's like the bases are loaded and someone's up and it's like oh are they gonna you know you want them to hit a home run and then you like you score four runs because your bases are loaded and and like everything else or whatever right and it's like they get a walk right so like yeah ultimately like when you get a walk to first base everyone moves around so like you do get a score of one run but it's not necessarily like what you wanted or what you were hoping for right like so it's not bad it moves things forward but it's huh, literally not like a a triple or a double or like a home yeah, run or whatever. Right? It wasn't it's a walk as satisfying as it on. could have been. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a better way to say what I was doing with my weird sports metaphor. <laughs> it was we're on we're uh, we're on uh, now a sports podcast. Everyone. Um, I was gonna say we're on the same page, but then I was gonna go, oh, you mean we're in the same ballpark? <laughs> <laughs> but. I did feel that the episode was like a horror version of the animated film Inside Out um, with all the different like emotions. Um, But like that was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and what's what's interesting about that too is like it's obviously this functions as like a bottle episode, right? It all takes yes. place on the station. It's all mm-hmm. like mostly the you know existing cast or whatever. And when you watch the credits, um, Joe Manoski, another Trek writer, has a like story by credit I think on it. And his original idea was a room like this place with all these doors and like right. Um, Anger, fear, joy, all the other, you know, people yeah. in in Riley, sorry, I mean Julian's head were gonna be paid by other actors. <laughs> and it was Ronald D. Moore's idea to say, Hey, why don't we cast the other emotions with the main cast and it then seems just have so them on the station? Yeah, right? Yeah, like, it's like, like and it also like saves them a lot probably, of money. It's probably more effective also because you can pull from those characters a little bit. Um and yeah, you're not hiring other actors. That's very silly that they needed to like have someone suggest that to them. <laughs> I guess they do because they do that every time someone talks with the wormhole aliens. So like, why would this be any different? Please show respect for my beliefs when you talk about the prophets. Sorry, Kira. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. Yeah, it, and like that. I mean, like, that it doesn't could be, have to be a most DS9 thing. Like, yeah. 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 I I will say I did not enjoy Altavar that much as the antagonist. Um, I found him very corny. And, like, tw- that scene at the end where he's basically, like, verbally tormenting Julian with his uh, mistakes and choices. He's doing this, like, Darth Vader voice thing that is not working for me, and I really just hated it. Yeah, I... I should say, like, I hated it, but also it came back around. Like, this episode almost was so bad it was good for me. It was one of those kind of vibes. But it wasn't, like, even fun bad. Like, I don't even think it is bad for me. It's just... Eh. Um, which is probably like the worst thing I think art can be a lot of times. Is, <laughs> like when it just yeah. makes you feel nothing. Yeah, um, that's fair. I like because laughed at a couple parts, but yeah, yeah. I just like wonder too when like when Altavar is doing like or <laughs> the brain like the implant of Altavar like the the yes personification of Altavar in Julian's mind Wait, that so is maybe like maybe Julian is just a really big Star Wars fan and so he projected <laughs> Darth Vader's voice onto Altavar hailing us do um, you think that Star Wars as a movie exists in the Star Trek world you don't have to answer that right now <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry uh... It's fine. Um, <laughs> oh God, I'm the worst. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's I. No, it's it's all good. Um, no, I was gonna say. I think the thing with Altavar, or I'm just gonna call him Altavar. Whatever. I was trying yeah. to, like, you know, within Julian's mind is when he's doing some of Coma Altavar. You can call him when he's doing some of those, like you know, mental like manipulation torture or whatever like as cool as the makeup is it's like i think i want to see the actor's face when they're doing that that kind of like gaslighting manipulation sort of thing because i feel like a lot of the performance with the like with the words they're saying will come from the physicality and like the face and how they how they do it like it's 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 kind of like how in the first Spider-Man movie, you can 
<laughs> you can hear what Willem Dafoe is doing with his face, but they made the terrible oh, yeah. decision, that which, is a really which good No Way example. Home rectified by taking the mask off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's like I, you're you're robbing this actor, I guess, of the chance to like use his face. Yeah, and, and we'll, I think and, that's maybe why it didn't work. Yeah, that's fair. And like, not to like harp on this spider-man example but willem dafoe has one of the best faces so to cover that up is a crime like they should be put in jail um yeah i don't know about the altivar actor but um i agree that that might have been more effective especially since like the reason why altivar um needed whatever he was trying to steal from julian at the beginning like not it doesn't matter it was just a vehicle to get to julian's in a coma so they could have definitely had it be like someone who had a face um speaking of the makeup in this episode this episode won the emmy award for outstanding individual achievement in makeup for a series um and i wondered like, I didn't think that Julian looked that effective. Like, I thought it looked, uh, I guess, for the time, maybe it was good. But, like, looking back, watching it now, I kind of felt like he looked like old Biff from Back to the Future <laughs> Part 2. But, like, I also didn't look that up to, like, confirm um, if he looks like him because it's funnier to me if I just imagine it. Well, and I mean, we're talking, like, similar eras of, of makeup. Right? Yeah, like, that's fair. Um... And I think, too, this is where, like, we know what Sadig looks like now, like, you know, 30 years later yeah. from from this episode, too. And it's, like, I think that adds a little bit more to, like, the uncanny valley-ish effect of the, like, yeah, old age makeup. Because we know that, like, <laughs> Sid is a lot more attractive 30 years <laughs> later than the 30 years plus yes. like makeup that they have on him. Like, you know, and they're yeah. doing the, uh, they're doing the like comic man. book thing early. Yeah. Very, 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 very attractive. They're doing like the comic book thing early on where you make someone look older by just like graying their temples, yes. you know, and doing <laughs> Giving that them around. The it's walnuts. like the, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And then it's, <laughs> There was, I was watching it with AJ, and at one point, like, before I said old Biff, he's, like, he's looking like like an older Malcolm McDowell, and then by the end, I'm, like, he's looking like Clint Eastwood now. <laughs> it was not a compliment. You know Malcolm McDowell is his uncle, right? Yes, but... Okay, yeah, I, I just, not... like, when you, when you went for that reference, I was, like... I was like, wait, does does Elise know that? Like, but I don't or, like, know. If, you know. I don't know if AJ knows that. I have to ask him because that's what he said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna stop I mean, recording a... right now. You're gonna text it. No, <laughs> uh, Sadiq had some interesting quotes in, in interviews, both yes, in like, you me. know Star Trek, to like various like interviews in in Star Trek magazines over the last couple of years. And in talking about, you know, shortly before this episode, um, he had to mentally prepare himself. Quote, I'm doing an old age thing next week, he said, and I need to prepare for it. Not necessarily to practice being old, but just get it in my head. Just walk around with it and get comfortable with the idea. Um, So that's kind of interesting, too, where it's like the actor is also working on getting in the headspace that like the character is about turning 30 and being older and like seeing themselves in the makeup and like, you know, the feelings that, that, that can come from that. So that's kind of interesting. And then later on in retrospect, 
um, Sadiq said he felt that this episode was a major challenge for him as an actor, right? Mm. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting because, like, I think I think his performance is good in this episode. I just don't think the rest of the episode is that right around him, right? Yeah, like, I think the I, whole, I did like... enjoy his performance. Um, although I enjoyed um, Colmini's performance as well. Everyone else kind of was a little annoying. Sorry. It's interesting how, like, I keep thinking about if this was Nana, like, she would have just hated being in all the makeup and how it's, like, interesting that (laughs) my, like, stupid way of being, like, we're all different. (laughs) Um, It's just interesting how, like, similar types of performances would be challenging for people in different, for different reasons is all I was trying to say. Because she talks often about how she's claustrophobic and doesn't like all of the makeup i wonder if that was an issue for um for sitting it's always i think it, it is a challenge when you are playing older and kind of in that that makeup i think a good example of it and like probably some of the best like physicality from an acting performance i've seen is like a character playing older than they are is mahershala ali in the third season of true detective and especially in contrast to his partner, who also at one point gets the old age makeup as well, and in Stephen Dorff, because Stephen Dorff is in the like you know aged up makeup like Mahershala is, but doesn't have the same physicality to his performance. He just moves like you know whatever forty or fifty year old Stephen Dorff, not like eighty year old Stephen Dorff, whereas like Mahershala. It's just performance, and that is amazing. Um, but like, yeah, it just has that 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 extra step and that extra mile. And so, like, I do think being in your thirties and playing like seventy or eighty is is difficult, right? So I think another like recent example. Um, I can't remember the actor's name right now, but in Midnight Mass, which came out last year on on Netflix, the Mike Flanagan show, there's a character we meet as you know like a mid 80 year old who ends up over the course like yeah who's like an actor that's that's playing older and there are like narrative reasons for that that i don't want to like spoil but it's just you know they can do it but it just it seems often seems a little like unintentionally camp right right? like it's not as authentic yeah like you have someone like limp Ex- they're doing this like extra limping and it's like the very like oh i've fallen and i can't get up like it's just very yeah. cliche a lot of the time yeah I, and like the opposite side of it i guess would be like the irishman where they did a bunch of like the the de-aging tech for some of the early stuff right. with like de niro and and pesci and, and stuff like that and there's this one where like de niro is supposed to be like in his 20s i think um and like beating this this guy who like at this thing and he's like kicking him and he's moving like a 70 year old not like, yeah <laughs> not like a 25 year old i didn't watch that movie but i think it's interesting because earlier and i did think of that movie when you said this because you mentioned how we know what alexander siddig looks like now so it's interesting and i wondered for something like the irishman where we know what robert de Niro looked like when he was younger like is that also weird or because it's less guessing and like they can go back to pictures of him? Maybe it's a little less weird to yeah. like, pre- yeah, I don't know. Something, something I just popped into my head, but yeah, I did think of the Irishman when you were talking about like aging someone 
Um, so, yeah. Well, and I think, like, the, like, shame of it now, like, we're talking about, like, between the makeup that they did on Sadig over the course of this episode, or even, again, as much as I was complaining that you couldn't, like, you know, see the actor's, like, performance, but, like, the Lethian makeup is cool right and now we just do these like unholy cgi abominations instead of like the makeup and it's just i don't know kind of wonder if we've lost something there from like a a craft perspective yeah i don't they have that um i don't remember it was on netflix but don't they have like is it a reality show or something where people like do the makeup stuff like the prosthetics and all that i don't remember what it was called i mean i know on netflix there's i think it's called glow up which is like a, a makeup like a makeup artist like competition and sometimes they do prosthetic work but i don't know if that one's what you're talking about no i i've heard of that one too but i think the one i'm thinking of is like specifically with like movies in mind like for uh, the okay. movies i have to look that up but like i hope that people are will still i i practical effects are wonderful and um, I hope that people are still making them, but I do know that everything now is CGI. <laughs> Not everything, but most things. I mean, a lot of that being because um, computer artists aren't unionized, whereas, like, your makeup artists and everything else are, you know, they're more expensive for, like, Disney or whatever to use, so that's why they'll... Oh, yeah, I'm it. sure that is a big part of it. Um, I have one last thing, just not that, like... We I know we got into um, a big intro discussion here, but I had one last thing to say before we kind of talk about what Julian actually goes through in the episode, and that is that Jackie Taylor watch. <laughs> um, Anne Gillespie is in this episode. We see her on camera for one scene, and then we have her voice in a pre in an earlier scene when we find out that this is just a coma. I'm like, oh, Anne Gillespie in the background. Well, um, and now I'm wondering, yeah. is she more of, like, a nurse practitioner? Because, obviously, she's, like, the most responsible oh, provider totally. with, with Julian being so. down. So it's like, oh, are you, like, uh, like are you, like, an NP? Because there's not, like, another physician besides Julian on the station. But then they've also talked. I don't know. It just, again, weird I was, things to yeah. think about. No, I but. definitely got always got the impression that she was more of a nurse practitioner. Like, she can, like, prescribe shit for people and, you know. So Julian Bashir, our baby is turning 30. <laughs> He's so grumpy about it. He was more grumpy than I was, and I was pretty grumpy about it too. What was your 30th? Do you remember what turning 30 was like for you? So I have this thing where like I get to like a certain like age or certain like part of the calendar and I just start like rounding up. So it's oh. like I'm 36 now and in my mind it's like I'm almost 40. right and so when i was like like 10 years ago i was like i'm almost 30 um (laughs) i remember being like excited to turn 30 so it's kind of like the antithesis of like what you're supposed to like do but yeah i i do like i think when julian's explaining it to garrick um i think the idea that represented like the loss of youth um I do. Th- I don't think that that's necessarily inaccurate. I think that's probably like the best way I've heard, at least recently and in, in recent memory, of like explaining why we culturally have this idea of thirty. 
um, yeah. as being like a big thing, which then made me think of the song 30 from Bo Burnham's Inside, which if listeners haven't seen it, it's well worth checking out. But it has the line, when, I, when he was 27, my grandpa fought in Vietnam. When I was 27, I built a birdhouse with my mom. Um, so that idea of turning 30 and the differences in like of time changing and like, you know, what our definitions of like adulthood and stuff are, I think is is very applicable. So on one hand, it's like, Really, turning 30 is a big deal in 24th century still, but, you know, is what it is. It's just a piece of color for the episode, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I get Quark's buddy Altavar that we spoke of earlier is upset because Julian won't sell him some sort of like illegal medical substance. So he breaks into the sick bay. Biomimetic gel, I think. Yeah, something, some sort of gel. I just keep thinking of Metagel from Mass Effect. Um, that's in my mind, it's the same, same thing or something. Um, and then he, I guess, electrocutes him with his hands or something. I don't know. I kind of didn't, I didn't need to know. There were some sort of sparks. There were sparks flying. And then. Do, 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 I see sparks fly. Never. I don't know what this is. Tom down. What, Taylor Swift? Sparks fly? I don't know a lot of... The way you move is like a full-on rainstorm, and I'm a house of cards. So I came to Taylor Swift with folklore. So I really don't know anything from before that, except for Red, because Taylor's version came out after folklore. So as the Taylor's versions come out, I will be listening to these albums for the first time. What were you saying? I'm just... I'm trying to remember. I think... as Sparks Fly from Speak Now. Yeah, it's not from Fearless, so I don't think we have a, a Taylor's version yet. I haven't listened to Fearless. I should probably listen to that. That was like the first like re-release that she did. Yeah, yeah Sparks it Fly was. on Speak Now. Um which is pre it's the album from like I think it's I think it's the one from just before Red, because Red was worn, she like moved into like her pop era so i guess it's the end of her kind of like pop country sort of phase yeah Um, that makes sense yeah anyways welcome to taylor swift chat with matt uh a person who for someone not well versed in you know the taylor the taylor deep lore and you know treating the taylor swift fandom like it's lost between seasons i do have a lot of taylor swift opinions i earlier this week um julie my friend Julie sent me, I say Julie because you know who I'm talking about, but our listeners may not, sent me a, a Taylor Swift meme about like, it was like really funny, like I'm in a committed, like happy marriage and like, but also had like them listening to Midnight's like really and crying or whatever. It was just like a funny meme. And so Julie was like, this is so accurate. And I was like, Julie and I have been friends for 20 years we did not know that each other were Taylor Swift fans until this week. <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but it's like the funniest thing ever. We've it's never talked me. about her before. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Team time. Everybody agrees. Do, 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 do. Okay, you know how I know we are both kind of over this episode? We're like talking about everything but the episode again. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> But yeah, I I think the the telepathic attack is like 
you know, that it's a biological feature of Lethians that they can, you know, do that. And it's normally very fatal. And it's like, he, Julian obviously gets attacked because he sees the person breaking, breaking into sick bay looking for the, the gel. Yeah. So when he wakes up from this telepathic attack, everyone's missing. The station's like broken, basically. And he's hearing voices. So it's pretty scary. And it's interesting. This is where Inside Out comes into play. Each one of our characters plays or represents a different personality trait of Julian. So Kira is like very angry that everything, that the station's screwed up and is supposed to represent Julian's aggression. Dax wants to go hunting for this Lethian. So she's, which this felt like a jump to me, but like she represents Julian's confidence and sense of adventure. And I'm like, okay, that's, I took that as aggression. So it's really funny that the episode tried to say something else. Um, O'Brien's focusing on fixing the station and he's like questioning everyone's plans. So, Julian is like, oh, you represent my doubt and disbelief, which is just funny because that kind of O'Brien's ver- uh, version of him. And then this might speak to the fact that O'Brien and Julian are best friends. I felt like the O'Brien version that was in the coma was closest to the actual O'Brien. Like, I felt that was the closest, like, connection. So... Dax and Kira and Odo were a little bit more um, distant from their actual characters to me. And maybe it just speaks to Julian knowing O'Brien so well. I don't know if you noticed that or thought that deeply about it. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of just took it more like at, at face value. But now that you explain it that way, I kind of, I kind of get it. And it's like... <laughs> On one hand, would it have been better if it was, like, you know, not the main cast? That we weren't, like, you know, associating certain, like, personality types of the characters with what they were trying to, like, make them represent for Julian? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Odo was was acting very suspicious, um, specifically about O'Brien. And that just felt like... Odo kind of reminded me of, like, when Aragorn and Boromir tried to take the ring from Frodo, and he was, Mm. like, you know, like, it just, that was what the performance was for me. Um, The Lethian was the one, so the, so Julian figures out, out of, just basically, like, out of thin air, he's, like, the station is my mind, I have to fix the station, um, and I just felt like that's the part that felt that it was just thrown at us, that we were like, okay, this is what's happening now. It didn't... I don't know that I jumped to the same conclusion as Julian if I were in that situation based on what was shown to us. Right. And then lastly, we see Cisco representing Julian's professionalism. And this kind of made my eyes roll a little bit. Um, and why is that? Because, like... It grosses me out that, like, something that is related to capital and capitalism is 
part of your personality like that the whole it just felt I'm probably reading way into that but it just felt icky to me and I yeah not that like there aren't reasons to be like I think there's other there's better things to be than professional I don't know (laughs) yeah I don't I don't know if I had like the same read on that because like again it's it's just like doing like your job well right and like having a sense of pride in your your work and then like i said like i said being able to like do it well i didn't necessarily tie it to productivity under capital in the same way like finding value like where like you're only producing therefore you're you're only like value or self-worth is based in what you're producing i took it kind of as as quite the opposite it's like julian being good at his job right like holly hunter being good at her job in broadcast news or like yeah it's not the actions of what happened it's the word professionalism that's bothering me um if they had said like oh like i'm good at my job like even work ethic would have been better for me professionalism to me is is it's like an act. Like it, it feels like a fake thing to me. Like it's not substantial. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that I was triggered by the word and it's not making sense when I try to vocalize why. But that's okay. I guess when like we're talking about like how we, you know, do our jobs or, or how, how we act in different situations, it's not an emotion and like if we're going to use it like you know in, in the inside out sense like yeah it's it's a quality of his like personality but it's not like an emotion the same way some of the other ones are it's, yeah. it's like your competencies um in whatever like role you're doing work whatever like that that's a bit of like yes it's it's either your skills or a bit of performance and how you're 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 handling and, and like processing things so like yeah i guess it's it's not necessarily an intrinsic quality in the same way i don't know it's just like i think i think i'm kind of understanding um yeah. but it's a ticking time bomb julian only has three hours left in his coma before you know he's brain dead or whatever I almost started seeing Time Bomb, so I just want everyone to know that they are lucky that I did not. So Julian has to go to Ops to fix the station, and when he gets there, there is a weird nod to Marilyn Monroe singing Happy Birthday to JFK. That was the most random thing I ever saw, to the point where I actually laughed out loud. Um, It just felt like this part of the episode felt very silly and and in a good way to me because it just like they just kept throwing these like random obstacles at him like he opens the panel and like the tennis balls fly out at him it just it made me think of the triples actually um but yeah it just it was very random and i wonder if like julian bashir has a Marilyn Monroe fantasy is basically what it comes down to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that I think it, person did not look like Marilyn Monroe, but they obviously were referencing that. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like it's trying to like cut some of the tension, but the episode never really had that much tension for me. Yeah. So it's just kind of like yeah, sure. doing this this weird like surreal thing. And like I couldn't even remember whether I'm sure he had, but like the whole tennis thing just seems kind of weird. Yeah. Like um, I don't remember Julian. I don't. I'm sure he did mention it, but I don't remember him talking about like he, tennis before. It was one of the episodes where they had him talking with like a woman that he was trying to ask out. Like it, it was one of like a, it was like a cold opening or something like that where he's just like having a conversation with someone. I don't, rem- I don't think it was Melora. I think it was a different person, a different woman. I don't remember who, but I think he was just trying to impress someone. So he's like going through his history as like a tennis champ, but I don't think it was Dax either, but I do know that it happened. I just can't remember the specific details. Um, yeah. When he was trying to, like, get to the engineering, um, station and started talking about his engineering courses at Starfleet Medical that focused more on, like, spaceship type of, uh, operations than, like, a space station, it just reminded me of, like, when you're playing an RPG and your character has, like, a backup specialty. <laughs> yeah. When Altavar is in ops and, like, pushing Julian about, you know, not trying hard enough and, like, basically weaponizing his own, like, you know, shame against him, he was like, you didn't, you couldn't take the pressure of being valedictorian, so that's why you purposefully misidentified, you know, that, that one question on his, his final exam, right? Being, and this was in, in Clueless, when... He, in the the opening when he's talking when Julian's talking to like a dabble girl or, or someone like that. Right. Um he says that he didn't wasn't valedictorian because he mistook a preganglionic fiber for a postganglionic nerve. But in reality they are nothing alike. Um Celeste Wolf, Robert Hewitt Wolf's wife, was uh in pre vet school, you know, was was working to become a vet and when Robert told her that story. She was like, WTF, dude, and started bugging him because that's not a mistake that someone would make in reality because they are completely different. And Celeste said no one would mix them up. And then Wolf later explained having Altavar point this out in the episode was his way of saying, yeah, my my wife is right. Sorry. Yeah. And like, so. I don't want to spoil future episodes but, like, there's another episode that also kind of retcons, like, the reasoning behind this again. So this is, like, not really the last time this even comes up, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get there. But, like, I don't think this episode is totally <coughs> incongruent with that. I don't mean um, retcons. I mean, like, adds to it. Sorry. Yeah. It, like, like when they decide it changes where to take it a little bit. The character. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. there's yeah, kind of deeper motivations and stuff like that. Um and yeah, I, I think I mentioned before too, where it's like they're still trying to figure out where to take Julian and where they want to where they want him to be, and I think some of that stuff comes out in Altavar's um, weird prompting about Dax when he's talking about tennis and med school and everything else, right? Yeah, that that felt that's part of why this episode felt like a step back for me because I. Oh, I've I've been saying I don't even know if I've said it on the pod, but I've been saying to you around the podcast discussion that I'm happy we're past that, and um, this just was very like it 
because it was Julian's mind, it didn't make sense to me that he'd be pressuring himself, like, about this because he'd already dropped it from what we saw. So it just felt like, yeah, I'm, I appreciate that Julian is, like, happy that they're friends, but also I just couldn't stop thinking about consent the whole time they were having this conversation because Altavar is like, you didn't try hard enough. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> there's lines here, like, that we do not cross. And if someone's not interested in you, they are not interested in you. But yeah, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to cover? Um, not really. Julian saves the day, and he realizes he has to go to sick bay because if the station is his mind, the center of his world is the infirmary, not Holmes. <laughs> I didn't expect you to say infirmary just now, and I don't know why it made me laugh. It's not even a funny word. So the whole time that we are recording, I was worried about my, myself mixing up Altair and Altivar. But then I remembered that I don't have to say it. So it doesn't matter. Really ah, happen. so you're talking about the Altair water <laughs> thirst quencher. Altair water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Yes. And yeah, we've been, we've been talking for a bit. I've been, you know, having my coffee. I'm a little parched. So who are you thirsting for this week, Elise? Garishir, always and forever. <laughs> um, I love when Garrick explains the differences between Cardassians and humans to Bashir because he's always so excited about it. And I also loved that he told him, you survived because you're strong. Oh, Yeah, I loved it. Were you thirsting for anyone uh, this week or anyone in the episode? <laughs> the good good update there no not in the episode um i i did watch a couple episodes of hannibal so i was thirsty for <laughs> hugh darcy's will graham again but uh that's not relevant to this episode of deep space nine i did have a, a, a candidate for the most star trek thing of the episode though Yes. Largely being it being a bottle episode and then a specific DS9 thing where we have the cast not playing themselves. Yeah, those are really good ones. Um, I think bottle episode is probably the most Star Trek thing. Um, my nominee for most Star Trek thing was just the fact that none of it was real. Because um, that does happen a lot. It's all in the mind. <laughs> and they call it a mind. Uh. <laughs> that is the second lord of the rings uh reference on this podcast today well until next time elise where can folks find more of you on the internet you can find me on twitter and letterbox at chicken double underscore tendy and you yeah you can find me on letterbox at at maddie hugh m-a-t-t-y-h-u-g-h you can catch us on twitter and instagram together at pod race and you can also email us at podrace at gmail.com please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice thank you to our editor melissa and thank you to dj empirical for our interstellar theme song and until next time computer and program bye